Hi, everyone. Thanks for coming. Today, we are going to talk about the incredibly broad topic of digital marketing today and tomorrow. So first, we'll go through introductions. I'm Jacqueline Ranieri. I will be the moderator today. I oversee marketing at The Orchard, which is a distribution company. We mainly focus on digital, and we are a global company, so we have offices in over 25 markets around the world. My name is Kevin Bruner. I'm the VP of Marketing at CD Baby. We're a music distribution company as well, and uh, we work with over 350,000 artists and of all shapes and sizes. My name is Marisol Siegel, and I work over at Open Aura. We are a music data and content company for artists, uh, empower visual experiences on music services and websites and other artist platforms. My name is Lance Coleman. Uh, I do digital strategy for the Blueprint Group, where we manage Lil Wayne, Nicki Minaj, T.I., and G-Eazy. And I also have a startup called Playola, which is a marketplace for artists to pay to have their music played around the world. Hi, I'm uh, Kavi Halmain. I'm the executive vice president at The Collective, which is an artist management media company. We represent artists like Linkin Park, Slash, Kelly Rowland, Tony Braxton, several others. We also own and operate our own YouTube multi-channel network, The Collective Digital Studio. All right, so we have one rule for the panel today, and that is we are not going to talk about Taylor Swift. <laughs> other than that, just say yes. <laughs> um, other than that, as we talk, if you have a question, just raise your hand. We'll take questions throughout. And first, before we get started, I want to find out who's in the audience. So, if you work with an artist, um, whether it's management or distribution or a label, can you raise your hand? Or if you're an artist yourself, okay. Or if you work with a technology startup, can you raise your hand? Okay. And am I missing anyone? All right. <laughs> you know your audience? Cool. So we're going to start with the first question. This is one that Lance actually just brought up when we were getting together. If you had $1,000 for an artist to make one song get heard, what would you do? Anyone want to start? Lance, it was okay. your question. <laughs> Why don't you start? I guess I'll, I'll start that one off. It's a, it's a very difficult question. I want to preface that by saying that um, it's kind of weird in the music industry. There's not um, a definitive answer for what works well. Um, a lot of things have worked for individual artists, and then you try to repeat them, and they don't work again. Um, so I, I think... My my gut tells me that the best like online way to do that right now is uh, traditional digital marketing. Um, I, I lean towards YouTube at the moment because of like their massive size. Um, the, I think if if the stat still stands correct, they're the number one music search engine, and they have a lot of creative platforms, that, a lot of creative things you can do around video promotion so if you have visuals that are associated with your songs they have a lot of uh like their true view program um i mean there's a lot of things that they have in their partner platform that can work well for that so at the moment I, w I would say that's like the the best bet for your money and then there's also companies like uh fluence um like shamal's here uh representing them and where you can get influencers who have leverages to larger audiences to listen to your stuff, give you feedback, and then maybe have an opportunity to get on their publications or in their streams or whatever it is where they have the audience. But those are kind of like the best uh, methods that are currently widely available, I think. Anybody else? 
one thing that we do, um, and this is available for no money at all, is so if you look at Spotify and the growing number of playlists and playlists that have thousands or hundreds of thousands of followers, it's actually not difficult to reach out to that person who created the playlist and suggest to them that they put your track on their playlist. And that has an immediate impact on how many people will listen to your track. That's kind of like back in the day of doing like blog and podcast marketing exactly. and reaching out to bloggers and podcasters for the same thing. So I'd also be remiss to not like do a little plug here. So this is kind of <laughs> like the problem that um, I'm focused on with uh, Playola right now. Um, so Playola is a marketplace uh, application where if you're an artist out there or you manage an artist, you can pay to have their song played at you know clubs, bars, in between songs, at festivals, um, in other people's cars, um, anywhere where music is being played, bar mitzvahs, cookouts. Um, we're the marketplace for that to happen. Um, didn't want to plug that because we're not uh, quite live yet, but that should be coming like soon in the top of the year. Yeah. So if you're looking at YouTube um, or anywhere, Facebook, if you're paying for people to listen to your music, is there any benefit to having sort of that fake like or fake friend, fake fan? I mean, from a technology standpoint, there is. Um, Can you explain a bit? Algorithmically speaking, if you're driving a, a lot of views in a short period of time to a video on YouTube, it'll it'll affect the search uh, characterization within YouTube of that piece of content. I mean, I I, I was going to go in a different I was going to go in a joking way and say Playola, Payola, you know, if I had a thousand dollars, I would pay somebody to play it that that's influential. But I would also have no doubt that. Using that $1,000 to create a piece of content that's unique and engaging is also a good use of that money because there's so much out there. So you, you got to hook somebody from note one, visual one, whatever you're releasing online from square one, you're already working from a disadvantage. So anything that you can do to create an advantage just based on the organic nature of the content is in your best um, – is in your best uh, – interest to kind of piggyback on what lance said earlier about uh sometimes things work and then sometimes they don't it's maybe the same artist and the same you know marketing tactic you try and it goes great and the next time it doesn't i think what a lot of artists mistake they make is trying to copy what another artist did and them not being in the same place and have the same fans and you know if i had a thousand bucks usually you know what i would do is look at what is currently working for us and try to enhance that whether it be like you know, we have something happening on YouTube. Well, let's dump some money into getting some more content, some more uh, views there, or, you know, whatever's working, spend the money there. Do you think there are ways when... Oh, good, Lance. Well, yeah, I was going to piggyback on that. So, like, and kind of what he said, actually a lot of times the best thing to spend that money on isn't actually even promoting the record. It's getting your, whatever your presence is, ready to uh, capture and collect data on your uh, fans. So ideally, you know, I, I would assume that if you are playing music, at least one person out there has said that they like what you're doing, that they enjoy what you, and they would want to support you, even if it's your mom, dad, sister, or something like that. But um, a big mistake that a lot of, especially up-and-coming artists that I've seen make is they try their best to promote their music really, really hard. And let's say they get, you know, even 20,000 views on YouTube. And then at the end, of like, yeah, we just got a bunch of views and a lot of great comments. And then, like, the next video rolls around and you can't 
contact a, a tenth of those 20,000 or a hundredth of those 20,000 people who liked it, even if they enjoyed it. Um, so spending the money to, to create the funnel of capturing those people, getting their information and building that relationship with them in most stages is normally a, a very good use of that thousand dollars. And even in later stages, I mean, we, we're still doing those same kind of things for big artists. It's something that doesn't really stop. And sometimes you don't even have to actually capture their information. They don't necessarily have to give you an email address. As long as you put a pixel in a right. web page or a pixel in any place, then you can retarget them around the web. And so that becomes incredibly useful when you're just starting out and you don't actually have a solidified fan base where you own their information or you have a great way to contact them on a one-to-one -one level. You can do it in a mass market way. Does everyone know what retargeting ads are? Can you raise your hand if you know what those are? I see a lot. Nice. Okay. <laughs> Do you guys run retargeting campaigns? Would you like to? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Where should we go from here? Um, what are some things that you guys have seen? I know, you know, as Kevin, you said, you don't want to always just completely duplicate what an artist has done because it might not make sense for your fan base. But is there, have you worked on any campaigns recently or have, have you seen anyone that's doing something that you think is, there's a piece of it that you should replicate or that's working really well? Well, a lot of the breakout success we've seen from a lot of the artists recently at CD Baby have, have typically had a YouTube component to them. Uh, whether they're, that's what they, their whole thing is about YouTube, you know, an artist like Pomplamoose where they got their start just by being a YouTube band. But uh, usually there's been some sort of YouTube component. But, you know, the, the tough thing with that is we'll have artists contact us saying, hey, you guys, you know, give us all this advice about how we should be on YouTube. And they hate being in front of a camera or they, they, they suck at it, you know, and it's like that's not their thing. And so they get frustrated because everyone's doing YouTube, but I'm no good at it. But I think, uh, you know, that is one platform that, uh, you know, is really driving a lot of album sales. And uh, if you can figure out how your presence can work there, whether it's just having some cool lyric videos or album art videos and and, uh, you know, your music over funny cat videos or I don't know. <laughs> I mean, this comes back to like, you know, content creation, which is like what you were talking about. And you, you know, social is such a big part of everything that all these campaigns and there's so many opportunities with social, but you need a lot of content and you need to um, think about that as like everything you can create as an asset and understanding a little bit about your audience, maybe using a data platform so that you can get a little bit of a window into who your audience is, and that's going to help you kind of drive that content creation. It may be someone who loves to make videos and be on camera. It may be someone who can do some cool graphics or funky little cat videos, but all of that stuff is valuable and can be used across so many platforms. Is there? Do you think there's a possibility of sort of overextending yourself? Like, having too much content, too many music videos, too many lyric videos, too much engagement with your fans? I would say mm -hmm. so. I mean, I think you can get to a point where people are like, I love you, but uh, can you tone it down a bit? <laughs> Actually, I had somebody I was having a conversation with. I forget who, uh, what the artist was. It was somebody really well-known who had just was doing a pledge campaign and they were getting daily updates, you know, because in Pledge Music you can send your your pledges an update. And they were doing it daily, and they were like, please, I love you so much. I'm supporting the album, but this is a bit 
too much engagement. So, I mean, there is there is some sensitivity there, but I think the idea of, you know, to me with, with marketing and getting yourself out there, it's all about telling a story. We're all inundated with just junk every day of people shouting messages at us. And artists are notoriously bad at it as far as, you know, what I see monitoring a lot of artists online. It's like they're so excited. They made their album, and the first thing they want to do is just – post every 10 minutes on Twitter, buy my album, buy my album, buy my album. And there's no intrigue, there's no story, there's no dialogue, no conversation. And uh, we just have too much stuff going on in our lives and too many messages hitting us day after day to, for that to draw us in. And so I think, you know, the idea of building a story, realizing that you're, you're, you're building fans for the long haul and not for just this second so they go make a purchase. But and it's developing that story and that identity and that personality online that makes people want to follow along. And then ultimately check out your music and hopefully buy it. Kavi, can you talk a little yeah, bit? Yeah, I mean, I absolutely think there's there's a, there's a good point to be made about not over-utilizing all the different available services out there, especially on social media. Um, just because it exists doesn't mean you need to be on there. Like, it's a good strategy to have accounts reserved and, and, and things like that for SEO purposes, but you don't necessarily need to be constantly up, updating every single social network that exists that's out there that comes out next week. There will be another one that somebody uses. Uh, and, you know, having a level of consistency and more importantly, authenticity is more important than just spreading your uh, – content everywhere uh, in, in a more of a boring or generic, just robotic kind of fashion. Um, you know, social media is something that has been around for a few years and is still at the very core element of what digital marketing is today. Um, and it will be tomorrow as well. But I feel like, I like the point that Lance made earlier. It's more and more you're seeing artists revert to as uh, instead of going to where the kids are you're you're bringing the kids to your own place whether that's your own website your own mailing list your own app your own streaming service fish for example launched their own streaming service um i believe a week ago because um, they have a massive bank of live content they're a live jam band they're that makes sense right um so they're creating their own new business ecosystems that are self-sustaining among their own fan bases as opposed to driving to Spotify to hear that or as opposed to you know just constantly utilizing building other people's businesses instead of their own and that's something that I'm really looking at right now for my artists because that's the future that's digital marketing and tomorrow um, a lot of things that I hear at some of these uh, these kind of tech conferences I go to all the time and, and speak at I hear the word uh, or this phrase used a lot. It's we're not quite there yet. I hear that on like a billion panels. Like people say that all the time. People, th what happens tomorrow is directly affected by that statement. Like two to three years ago, we were not quite there yet for an album to just come out of nowhere. And then Beyonce did that. Now we're there. Tom York released an album on BitTorrent. That's a touchy subject, especially in the major label game. I've done five partnerships with BitTorrent so far for content that's been gated by an email. That Those have all been very successful. Those are considered taboo ideas a few years ago. They're now being adopted. So 
that phrase is very, very important that we're not quite there yet because somebody changes that and then we are and then that's today and then something else will be tomorrow. Can you talk a little bit about your experience with BitTorrent and why it's valuable to you? Yeah, I mean, it's valuable to me because it's a massive global worldwide audience of you know 200 million or so active users. Um, it's, it's global in scale. I work with a lot of artists with global fan bases, not just domestic fan bases. So it's a way to tap into Eastern Europe. It's a way to tap into Asian audiences. It's a way to tap into countries I didn't even know exist until I saw the data export back. <laughs> so for that reason alone, it, it's been valuable. But the other reason has been d- data. I've been able to capture hundreds of thousands of email addresses from my clients by distributing content through BitTorrent, driving traffic to owned and operated properties like websites and merch stores and iTunes uh, or you know other forms of uh, e-commerce, driving up those revenues as well while also capturing data to be able to remarket. And so when you explain it like that to an artist, are they generally on board or are they still afraid because it's BitTorrent? A lot of the artists I work with are, you know, are, are, have been forward thinking about it. Some, some took ex- explaining. Other, others were a little bit more like they get it right away. Um, you know, I don't – I work with I work, I work with artists on the management side, so my, my viewpoint on that is a little bit more – viewpoint on monetizing – music in general is a little bit more open-minded than, say, the major labels. Um, so, I, you know, I've been able to show that utilizing these kind of tools that are ultimately about giving content away for free can lead to, to monetization and more awareness. Um, it's an argument. Uh, I had to, you know, I premiered a music video through BitTorrent for a client signed to Hollywood Records at the time, which is distributed through Universal. And that was a, that was a pretty fucked up conversation to have um, and to try and push those kind of promotions through still takes a lot of effort uh, for artists that are distributed through major labels but I, I, I think I think the tide is turning a little bit um, and there's room for more kind of experimentation uh, especially when it comes to the distribution of content I want to go back to one thing that you said about sort of not the phrase not quite being there yet, yeah. but then also wanting to own your own data and work directly with their fans and not necessarily on a third-party platform. Mm-hmm. For a developing artist who doesn't yet have a fan base, when is that moment? Like when do you sort of pull the plug and get them onto your own third your own um, site rather than using focusing on the third-party platforms? I mean, I think it should be right away. But I agree with that. Yeah. I don't know, you want to yeah. 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 further? I mean, well, I mean, those platforms are great to leverage as an independent artist, as mm-hmm. someone who's building an audience, and there's a lot of people on those platforms. But you should be thinking about how to how to bring those people into your your fold, like immediately as you're developing your brand. Yeah, I mean, I think that's as a as an artist, especially in this era, you should be doing that regardless if you're an independent artist or a major label artist. I mean, the the benefit is you can own that relationship. So why would you want someone else to own that relationship? For the, you know, CD Baby, we distribute music to all the the stores, and we want your music to be, I I would recommend artists to have their music everywhere, mainly because, you know, you're, as an independent artist, usually your your problem is getting your music heard, building an audience, and finding listeners. So the last thing I'd want is for somebody in the room to hear me play and then walk out and 
open up whatever music service they're used to using and not be able to find it. But as they become a fan, I want to own that relationship. And that's where, you know, I want to have direct dialogue with them. I want them to buy from me. So I, I think that's ma- really important. Yeah, as soon as possible. And and I think the later you wait, the harder it gets um, to, to make that happen. So if you are just starting to make those decisions, um, not to say you're at an advantage, but you get to know all the tips and tricks before they break on you. Um, like my whole goal around social media, I think of it like, you know, I have a party at my house and there's a better party down the street and I'm trying to get as many people from that party to come to my party. Like that's <laughs> the whole thing. And I don't want to not be there because that's where everyone is. But, you know, the whole goal is to get them into your fold because if you don't own the data on those people or at least have access to using it, like with the retargeting ads, then you don't even have a connection to your fans. And that's, you know, that's kind of the whole point. Right, turning your fans into your marketing force is the ultimate end goal. And are there any for digital marketing? Any tools that you've come across that help to do that? Several. I mean, such as I like a lot of the uh, user-generated content platforms. Um, you know, some of these are fans. Some of these are also specialists in their respective fields um you know so, uh, there's a site called Genero tv that i've worked with a few times that um it's a network of uh i think like 30 or 40,000 videographers and filmmakers and you know you can create I've, I've created official music videos for my clients that were crowdsourced through this network um there's other art based sites that that i that i enjoy uh using that i've had success with um Creative Allies is one of them. I've sourced artists through them and uh, also Talent House, photographers, um, designers, and things that, we, that I've actually taken from these promotions and then brought them actually into the fold of the artists from there and utilized them for actual like album artwork and things like that. Um, tool, specific tools, uh, I think, uh, as it relates to like digital promotions and things like that, there's, there's a really great uh, mobile app called uh, Simple Crew, um, and it's a, it's a street team management uh, solution. Uh, it all works on an iOS and Android uh, app capacity, and uh, essentially you can cr- create tasks for like your street team soldiers out there. They're all taking pictures on their app like it's a street team Instagram feed. So I can see, like, you know, Joe in Brooklyn just put up a poster at X record store, and, like, there's a feed so that... Every other member of the team can see the feed and sort of feed, literally feed off of the activity that everybody else is doing, and and show to the artists like, hey, I'm out, I'm out here doing this, and that provides valuable information and data back to me around, especially when, when it comes to tour marketing, like what's occurring in different markets. Um, I, I know there's there's a billion tools. There I are. Mean, I, I, I don't want to <laughs> yeah hog up the mic on this question. Lance? Anyone else have any? Uh, I mean, he he had a bunch of them, a bunch of the good ones. Um, I'd say Topspin was really, really great. I was a huge proponent of Topspin. Um, uh, Since then, FanBridge. um, I I really believe in the email for media widget, uh, I guess, method uh, of capturing fans, even if email marketing isn't what it once was. Um, But... FanBridge allows you to get from that point A to point B pretty quickly um, with the customization tools that you need to integrate with your own stuff. 
So I guess I'd plug uh, FanBridge. Um, and I guess recently Twitter, they're, uh, they're doing a lot of things for artists on the promotion side as far as like offering opt-ins um, for emails, uh, in-stream purchases. So going forward, I think they'd be a good one to look at as far as tools for capturing those fans. So, Kava, you said that there are literally billions of tools, and there are. Yeah, How I do mean, you... there's, there's, other, I think there's other interesting ones too, in like the social commerce space, like Gumroad and mm-hmm. Chirpify, and you know, these are companies that are utilizing their technology to, you know, piggyback on top of organic activity taking place on these networks, like hashtags and at replies and things like that, as a purchase mechanism. Um, so for a lot of the people who are sorry to interrupt you but for a lot of the people who are here who have a company that they're trying to work with artists what's the best thing that they can do to stand out and to make you want to work with them I don't know if I understand that question Um, so how do you essentially how do you choose the tools how do you find out about them and if I was to start a company tomorrow that I wanted you that I wanted to work with you on what would make me be the company my company be the one that you would want to work with Anyone can answer this question. I would say that it actually works and it's easy to use. A lot of the, yeah. you know, at CD Baby, people are pitching companies, you know, their app and stuff to us all the time. And a lot of times I look at it and I go, whoever made this clearly isn't an artist or doesn't know how an artist thinks and doesn't know how an artist wants to do their day to day and and how what they're managing. And I think, you know, first you got to put yourself in the place of the user. And that's, you know, if you want to make something that artists want to use and capture fans talk to some artists find out what their problems are and you know the the email in exchange for a download or uh, that is still a really cool way that people are building fan lists um, one of my favorite sites is noise trade for doing that you put up something and um you know my band built a, a pretty nice list off of uh using noise trade to put out a free track and there's lots of people there searching for music that's free and and they kind of know what the exchange is there so you know, if if you wanna if you wanna make something that's gonna get traction in that space, find out what you know. Like I said, what artists will use and what works for them. I mean, I was just gonna say, show show that you can provide some sort of value to the artist. I mean, wh- whether it's a new whether it's a new revenue stream, which is you know something Marisol on this panel approached me about for her company, Openora, uh, or I see the the TuneSpeak guys in the back there. Uh, they have a a crazy app that that um, that that piggybacks on top of social activity in order to enter to win something like enter to win a pair of tickets or a meet and greet or whatever, and then you know they show us the data back and give us give us the data too. Um, providing value, I think, you know, in, in in a real meaningful way back to the artist is great incentive for the artist to use it. I mean, that's yeah. and it. I can't stress enough that I mean you talk about the data. I mean the the Data, the data element can be very overwhelming. There's so much data out there now, and a lot of people tell you to analyze all of it. And, but there is some key areas that you know you should be focused on in terms of understanding your audience and where they're coming from, and all of these tools that are available. Like that's that's an element there that that's an important one and something that you want to make sure you're getting value out of. That's not just what the tool is going to do for you from a marketing perspective, but that's another value element that you want to make sure is there. Um, and to, to go back to your question, for for the really really big artists, like if you're trying to land like the huge fish, um, the like, reasonable expectations of involvement from the artist, you Absolutely. know, like 
uh, Little Wayne's not going to do 40 blogs in two months. Like, it's just <laughs> not going to happen, you know. So if there's um, if there's a way that you can mitigate the effort of the actual artist, even if that means that it's something that can be done by someone like myself or someone on the team, um, those kinds of things make it uh, immediately move it into a more realistic category. Um, when those expectations are realistic on the artist side, for the big artists. Um, but I think those same kind of things apply for smaller artists as well. You want to, you know, it's like a simple formula of put in the least amount of time and get the maximum amount of exposure or revenue out of it. Um, and if you can show that those two things are, are pretty far apart, then it'll get a chance. I mean, everyone. Everyone's always looking for the, the for the best tool to accomplish the goals, and very few people have gotten anything down completely. So, so yeah. let's go back to the the data for a minute. Um, you know, there's that saying: if you're not measuring your marketing, you're not actually marketing. <laughs> so, are there any um, any advice that you have? There's so much data out there on what you should be looking at. What what's what mean what does um, what is successful? Like, what does success mean to you? What tools do you use to measure the data and actually create something actionable out of it? I think the first thing, I mean, with any campaign you're doing, I mean, understand what your goal of the campaign is. If you're if you're trying to drive ticket sales or trying to drive album sales or you just want to increase your social presence, I mean, try and identify a goal for whichever whatever you're doing in that campaign because then you can kind of look at the data available for that marketing plan and try and understand what you should be focused on. It, I mean, I think it's really important to understand who your audience is because then you can go to the places where your audience is because there's so much to do out there and you, your time, I mean, you, you only have so much time. I mean, if, especially if you're an artist and you're trying to market yourself or you're running a small label and you have a lot of bands and you have a small staff. I mean, so really focusing on those places. I mean, we've already talked about not being everywhere. It's really being in the right places and trying to spend your time wisely and getting the biggest bang for your buck. And this data can really help at least guide that and at least tell you what where your return on investment is coming from. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, a lot of artists, you know, they have access to data and they don't necessarily use it to their advantage, um, even just where your sales are coming from. And, uh, you know, Pandora uh, launched their whole data um, dashboard this past week or two weeks ago and, and stuff like that, looking at just to see where sales and plays are coming from in order to say, hey, you know what, for some reason we're selling a ton in Phoenix and we've never even been there. Maybe we should think about doing a show in phoenix or something like that i mean that happens a lot and uh, we see that happen at cd baby artists will email us and say oh my gosh i'm selling a ton in germany and i've never even been there i don't know why and it's like well something's working there why don't you find out what's working and maybe there's that's where you need to be and put some effort so i mean that's one thing that's a benefit to driving sales to where you control the account and uh, you can see that sales data and and see where your fans are yeah i mean i I'll answer the question in a in a more uh, I guess narrow uh, viewpoint as it relates to touring. Um, a, a lot of times, there's there's only certain kind of da- data you can get back as it relates to who your ticket purchaser is and who your audience is at an actual venue. Um, so one of the things that I've been more focused on. Um, this year especially um, is trying to get a better picture around who our ticket buyers are and who, who our audiences are at the venues. You know, there's there's innovative startups that are working in this space. One of them is called Turnstile. 
um, and they're a geolocation-based app where, you know, it's sort of like a chameleon app that reacts to uh, whatever live event that you're at. So if you open it up at the event, it knows you're at that event. It gives you a chance to engage at that event, either with, you know, an on-site activation or a contest. And that data is then collected and shared back with the partner um, so and then also and also analyze so then you actually have a window into who bought your ticket and who was actually at the show as opposed to just you know whatever little data you may or may not get from Ticketmaster if you're a big enough artist um, or Live Nation or AG um, so those are the kind of things that I think are going to be really really important moving forward in the future is on-site activation related. Um, marketing promotions, especially uh, on tours, especially, and this is probably even more tom a tomorrow thing, but, um, you know, as beacon technology develops, uh, beacons are going to be mind-blowing as far as the amount of data you can get back uh, from an on-site activation. You, you, you know, I hope to one day be able to, to know at what song during the set list my fans decide to go check out the merch booth, right? That's valuable intelligence for me uh, from a marketing perspective, and I can't wait till we get there, but we're not there yet. <laughs> <laughs> so this is kind of like a, a really specific example, but um, I, I feel like a lot of people wouldn't know about it. Um, so for myself as an artist and then a part of a group called Electro Spit, one thing that I thought was um, really cool, I'm really big on Twitter. Um, I, I like the way it flows. I like that it's all chronological. Um, and one of the big things that I did in preparation for a project was every time someone said something like overwhelmingly positive, um, you know, that kind of denotes a super fan or someone who's really engaged in that profile or you um just give it a quick favorite um and the favorites go back like you know a few thousand so ten thousand i think it cut off at like eleven thousand favorites so then when it came around time to uh get the project together you know with a very simple script you can like get all those usernames off and check you know the data against okay where are those people who are saying these amazing things um and I mean, that's just an example of if the, even if there's not like a tool already there, like you can tell when there's people in a certain online atmosphere enjoying your stuff, find a way to get their information, even if it's, you know, copying and pasting their username, um, which is a little less sophisticated. Those kinds of things are valuable. And you never know, especially if you do the proper way of um, having upsells for higher fans. You know, one of those people who said, oh, my God, this is the most incredible thing I've ever heard in my entire life. You know, they might spend, you know, a hundred dollars on your highest package and then make that entire transaction worth it, that entire process worth it. So um, just think about those kinds of things when you're operating in the social media and how can again, how can you get them away from their party into yours in some shape? It's sort of starting like the conversation with them right. and then moving it somewhere else. Exactly. So um, let's talk a little bit about millennials, just for the hell of it. Um, <laughs> so I read recently that two-thirds of an artist's audience are made up of millennials. And when you consider that only 23% of the population are millennials, that's really skewed that any artist out there has about two-thirds of their audience being millennials. Do you think there's actually any difference to marketing to millennials? I was going to say, what artist? Taylor Swift? 
Hey. <laughs> like that does. I mean, that doesn't necessarily hold true for my artist. Um, but although it's close, you know, I would say it's a maybe, super average from next yeah, big sound. Yeah, I mean, for in my experience, it's it's uh, marketing to millennials has a lot to do with YouTube right now. I mean, we're involved in a, in a multi-channel YouTube network. Um, at my company, so I see it every day. Um, also, that's now extending to other video platforms beyond YouTube that are much smaller in length, like Vine and mm-hmm. Snapchat and and others. Um, I, 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 millennials are a tough one because they basically expect everything to cost nothing. Um, and be instantly available to them. Uh, so you kind of have to create a content strategy that, that allocates for that demand, right? And it's mostly demand poll-based marketing when, you, when it comes to millennials. I think, they, I, I think that they respond less to being pushed, some, pushed you know, in their face to, with something that, that you think is important versus just having a slate of content or material available for them to pull down. I mean, that's my gut reaction when it comes to millennials. I don't really know if there's there's a, a magic bullet. Yeah, it's like they want to yeah. find... They want to be the yeah. one to yes. find the thing that they think is cool mm-hmm. and then spread it themselves. Creating the illusion of discovery. Um, hopefully it's not an illusion, but, you know, like the the idea that they are the only ones who happen to come across this and they are the first ones to know about it. You know, however you can, however you can get that across in whatever way. I also think that's that's why traditional like display ads do so poorly for artists. Um, because if someone is like saying, "Listen to this, listen to this," it immediately makes you want to go. I don't know if I want to listen to that. Right. So, <laughs> well, and that's why companies like the audience have been so successful is because they figure out how to instead of make it a display ad, they they cre- they create a social influencer campaign and they but they take a movie like the a Ouija board movie or whatever and they partner with artists and social influencers to incorporate their branding into content that's or you know, quote unquote organically being shared and sometimes there's some payola exchanging hands there but millennials are you know much more likely to react to an ad campaign like that than than a traditional media campaign like like lance pointed out is there anything that you find exciting about working with millennials or trying to attract them it's talking about the tomorrow part of our panel is that for me or is that for anyone (laughs) i don't i think the, the the main thing with millennials is uh that it seems like there's this a lot of tension between the old school record industry and millennials. How do we get them to buy music? And it's just you have to approach it the, the basic understanding that it's not that they don't necessarily want to buy or pay for music and expect everything for free. That's just not the world they grew up in. So, you know, I grew up where we went to the store, bought a CD when it came out on a Tuesday and and took it home and listened to it then. And now that that's not the world they live in, and I think... A lot of people are trying to make people that don't understand that world understand that world and, and act that way um, when that's not what they know. So, I mean, I think there's just understand that it's going to be different, that they're going to think about things different, they're going to consume music differently. And, you know, I think there's definitely more value in relationship uh, and approaching them more with a relationship than approaching them with, uh, you know, just just spam and 
advertising and branding. Yeah, they may not be buying music per se, like on a CD or download basis, but they're definitely buying into brands. Like, you know, they're they're buying into cultural lifestyles, and that could be of an artist, and that leads to you know additional money for the artists in other ways, mostly via touring and merchandising and, and other forms of revenue. I think as far as exciting, just like you know how bandwagony it it really is now like even something really obscure and different <laughs> that like 85% of the or 99% of the planet would hate you know there's someone out there who's extremely excited about it and thinks it's the most amazing thing in the world and will share it with everyone and wants yeah. to tell everyone about it um I, I think that's that's kind of exciting that there's someone out there for everyone <laughs> Actually, sorry, hold on. We're gonna, we can open up for questions now, but we do need to wait. Um, if you ask a question, wait for the microphone to be presented in front of you. So do we have a we microphone? Have a mic- okay. This is the official microphone presentation. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Uh, do you think there is a different, uh, you know, the millennial generation is now what we're calling digital natives. Um, and given that, you know, a lot of these consumers grew up on internet, on social media. Do you think there's uh, a different level of trust you have to establish? Like, you, I find that, you know, a lot of millennials have, they so native to platforms that they have a really high spam, you know, advertising marketing sort of filter. You guys find that it's harder to reach millennials because they've grown up on a lot of the digital marketing and social media? I think you just have to be real um, and, like, create a connection. I mean, we talked about telling a story and developing a relationship. I mean, that's what I think is, you know, that's what social has done and and growing up with social media as part of what you grow up with. I mean, I think that's the expectation now, and I think it's just very easy to – to see the fake stuff. I mean, you see that with brands who, like, try and create viral videos, and it's so evidently (laughs) not – real and i think that it's it's very easy for for um for people who are kind of grown up in this environment to kind of spot that right away and just be real and just try and connect with people and and use the tools that are out there i think that's kind of the first step to to kind of reaching that audience yeah i mean i don't know whether it's harder or easier but it's it's definitely different um I've I've literally I've changed content strategies often or added additional content strategies to some of my clients in order to tailor to the YouTube audience to the millennial audience you know for example like I I worked with an artist that was spending thousands of dollars on their webisode material they were, it was very polished it was you know pretty much like behind the music style like you know professional shot stuff and it was getting pretty decent viewership but for the YouTube platform I was like well I don't necessarily think this is connecting per se with the the core audience on YouTube. Um, so I created for that this particular artist, I created another content series to run in parallel with it. That was just a webcam and a GoPro and like quick edited, really raw and dirty stuff. Um, and that ended up gaining more viewership. Like, and, and this literally costs zero dollars to make this content versus the thousands of dollars on the more professional shot stuff, right? So there's one example where you sort of have to just 
ebb and flow based on who the core audience is on a given platform. Millennials and YouTube are going hand in hand right now, so that's why I use that as an example. Other questions? What are you guys finding that people do want to spend money on with the artists? Do you mean like what labels want to spend money on to get their artists' attention or what consumers want? What, what does a fan want? So I, I love a band. What a, what's the top five or ten things that I'm going to spend the most down to the least kind of money? Any, for me, I mean, anything that puts them even remotely close to or in front of the artist is number one. Um, you know, meet and greets and, and that kind of uh, thing, like premium packages, VIP packages uh, for touring. Uh, number two, you know, I think new music is still very, very, a very, very powerful carrot. Um, whether people are, yeah, I, I hate to use the word buying or whatever, but you know, in they're, in some way, they're they're creating a monetized transaction whether that's they subscribe to they pay for a spotify subscription and they're streaming the new music or they buy it off itunes or they care about um the direct-to-consumer type of offerings um you know special vinyl things like that there's still physical goods being bought around music especially when it can be um a little bit more fan um you know uh, fan centric like exclusive artwork that kind of stuff um, number three, I would say, is definitely touring, or probably even ahead of number ahead of the the music part. I would probably reverse those. Actually, is like just tick pure tickets, um, and then and then I would say merch as well um, to round that out. Lance, that, that's, pretty, that's pretty, pretty much, much identical. Yeah, it's pretty <laughs> identical to most artists. I mean, I think the order may change around depending on the artist. Some artists are stronger on merch are stronger on touring and some are stronger on creating a lot of new music or maybe some artists are you know graphic designers and they also have like a lot of cool posters they make or have a companion business a lot of labels there's a couple labels like ghostly or sub pop who have like really strong brands and have very strong merch business as well as creating music so i think it depends but i would probably say that that's probably the mix that everyone's going to give you yeah. and, and then also um i mean most artists don't do it but bespoke anything um something that is created explicitly for that artist or those group of artists um they really want that but it's kind of a hard thing to do at yeah. scale I, th I think to add to that there's you know services like patreon where i mean really what people are buying into is the experience of what they get to experience with you the artist whether it's i want the album i want the special tour poster i want the t-shirt i want i want the whole thing and i think you know, it's more about looking at how do my fans want to experience this kind of relationship we have back and forth. And, you know, there's all sorts of ways to monetize it. But I, th I think that's another thing that's popped up where it's just a matter of releasing content. I just want the content from you and I'm going to pay you every time you release something and, and to encourage you to keep doing it because I like it so much. What else? Uh, Kavi, uh, you mentioned a uh, video crowdsourcing app, and I just didn't catch the name of that. Oh, a v uh, video crowds? I don't know if I mentioned, but I do. Wor I have worked with one before. <laughs> uh, 
Oh, you know, oh no, uh, that, was that was Gennaro. That was it. Was not necessarily. That's not necessarily crowdsourcing. That's utilizing a network of independent filmmakers oh, and okay. and directors that. That's called Gennaro. That yeah, that have varying yeah. degrees of skill, and right? The, the, but there is another one. That There's another app called Fan Footage that I worked okay. with, um, cool. which which is. Um, they crowdsource live uh, live footage and sync it to uh, an audio recording of that performance while also building an um, interactive player where you can switch between camera angles of different people that uh, filmed that performance live. Um, cool. I, I, did that, uh, I did that with, uh, with a client and got over 1,500 live camera, cell phone, you know, in landscape mode uploads that ended up turn you know they ended up turning in that into a professional looking music video and a, and a multi uh player uh, uh interactive players uh viewable experience as well online it's called fan footage, fan footage. they're based out of ireland uh, right. dublin cool thanks yep other questions all right while you guys think of questions i have another one <laughs> um is there anything today that you think you would benefit from there being sort of a tool like would you um, a tool that exists. So would you create anything yourself or would you partner with a development house to create something that you could use for your clients? Anyone? Well, Lance, you've already done that. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah maybe. Uh, I think one of the, one of the more interesting spaces is, uh, that's historically been relevant to the music business is radio that on the technology side, hasn't really um, been explored too much by the startup world and by the Silicon Valley world. Um, there's one company called Clip Radio Interactive, uh, and they're basically like a Shazam type service or music recognition type service for um, specifically for radio. So they're only taking in feeds from radio. Uh, and their users, I think they have about 40 or 50 million users now, which is pretty significant, are tagging content only being played on radio in order to enter into specific promotions. And they're also integrating with the sales teams of these radio stations to create a digital activation around what's taking place on the advertising side of their business, which is their way that radio stations make money is advertising. So I feel like there's a lot of room for innovation as it relates to traditional radio, but creating a digital activation around it or a digital extension of what's taking place on radio. That's one company that I feel like has, has sort of dipped their feet into that. Um, but I haven't really seen any others. Um, and I've, I feel like if there was some sort of real time analytics tool that told me like when and where my artist songs are being spun and, Things like that, like that, could be useful for me in in, in a way. Um, so I, I don't know. It's kind of a vague suggestion, but if anybody wants to create a killer radio-based app um, for artists, please go do it and talk to me. Yeah, I I personally, um, it's I guess it's two things. Um, the the main pain point is you know something that I could like insert cash and out came fans. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> You know, and whatever, whatever is happening on the back end, you know, that like I can. I know a couple of people in India that you should talk to. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, fans that buy things. So like, <laughs> sorry, can't help you there. <laughs> um, like, and 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 
that I think that that would be useful, even if it's not like that one to one, but be able to say like, okay, I know that if I put my marketing dollars behind a good song that I will have lots of fans out of it. Like if I can get that simple guarantee, that'd be great. And then on like a minute, on a very, very specific level, um, there's this problem across like social, because like you said, there's so many social media platforms Mm -hmm. and like it used to be like, you know, Facebook was really the only big one, but now there's like a bunch of big social medias, like tens of millions, hundreds of millions of fans on them. So if there right. was one and internationally way, too, you got to change strategies. Right. China, it's like nuts. so. If there was something that could convert, like I have an album cover and I have this message I want to put out. If I could just put that in there and it'll convert it to the right message across each of those those yeah, platforms. There's companies that you have to pay thousands of dollars to do that. Yeah, that are making but then it's money, an actual person. It's a person <laughs> literally translating and then redoing stuff. Yeah, like a tool that yeah. did that would be extremely valuable. Like very very. Um, there is so I don't know if you've heard of Feature FM, Lance. This is yeah. That I mean that's a little bit similar. So you pay for the amount of plays that you'll get on something like Eight Tracks or other partners that they're starting to have. But they're um, they just launched a few months ago. It's something interesting to check out. I was going to say one other thing that I would like to see is um, a company that leverages an artist or celebrity or influences influencers social media footprint and finds a way for them to to be cut in as part of the 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 equation of all the money that's changing hands between facebook twitter and you know now starting to be snapchat they're making money um there's companies that help you capture the data but then you have to help sell as well there's you know there's companies that allow you to price in your own your your social media data your own cpm and 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 you know, split in the revenue, but it's not 100% passive, right? I can't just sign an agreement, say, hey, like, here, like, work in all my social data into your, into, uh, into all these uh, social media ad campaigns and let me collect a check. That would be nice. (laughs) Just saying. Any other questions? I just wanted to ask about those like uh, radio stations where you like pay to have your music played or like Facebook posts and things like that. Are they really like worth it in the sense of do you think you get a lot out of it? I'm just curious. Or is it more is it better like the free just like doing a lot of social influencers, you know? I'm trying to figure it out. <laughs> I, I hate that it's like either <laughs> one of us <laughs> had to answer this question. So I'll I won't. Give, I'll give you an answer after you go. But. I won't say it's it's useless. Um, if they're doing what they're saying, they're doing. Um, it's it's valuable. Um, the the biggest problem, um, and we didn't really touch on this, is like data gaming. Like it's so hard for me to know. Like, all right, I just paid this SoundCloud promoter to promote my track and I gave him, you know, a thousand dollars and and not SoundCloud, the platform, like some random guy who says, I promote your SoundCloud through whatever method it is. And then sure enough, like in a few days, you've got, you know, 20,000, you know, hits on your SoundCloud or clicks on your website or whatever it is. And then those people never convert into purchasers. So um, I think you have to, like, take it on a case-by-case basis. 
Um, but I would say the majority of them are not worth it. Yeah, there's there's a, uh, a lot of instances where you can actually damage your profile, like for your Facebook profile, where if you load it up with a bunch of fake likes, then the algorithm that decides how many of those fans are seeing, like the engagement level is going to be so low, Facebook's going to think all the content you're posting is terrible, even though you might be posting great content. I mean, I know the temptation for artists is they – they, you know, they want to get a gig at the, the, the cool club and the booker says, oh, you don't have very many fans and you don't have many followers. And the first thing is, well, I'm going to go get a bunch and fake them all. And, but that doesn't really, at the end of the day, help you out. I mean, when you go to that show and none of those people show up because they're not real and then the booker still never wants to have you back again, that's, you've damaged those relationships and closed a lot of doors. You know, if if you got the money, spend it on building building real fans, right. maybe one by one. But it, you're going to get more value out of those authentic well, fans. On the opposite side of the coin, if you did work hard to develop ten thousand real fans in Nashville or whatever, and you have a show there, and you want to spend money to increase a reach of a post that is cut off by X percent by Facebook, so you can reach your truly legitimate fans in that market, that might be a good use of that money. Yeah, absolutely. I, I agree with that. I do yeah. that all the time. Yeah. Um, you kind of have to do oh. that with Facebook now almost. Exactly. Too. Yeah. I mean, it, it, even if you have a, a million likes on Facebook, I mean, in, in, in order to kind of start reaching people now, you, you, that's kind of a, a, a practice that almost everyone has to do these days unless you want to spend all your time figuring out how to work with their algorithm, which is always changing. And that sums up our talk. We are over. (laughs) Thank you guys for coming.